Turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we realize this morning that everything we have comes from you. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you for your grace, your redemption, your justification, your Holy Spirit, and Lord, the other, all the other things that you've given us. We thank you for that. And Lord, we pray that you might help us to realize that everything we enjoy actually comes from you as a gift and that you've chosen us to come down and to give us that gift and say, here, I want you to enjoy it. And the byproducts are peace and love for each other and, and uh, joy and salvation and tears of gratefulness and commemorating and remembering what Jesus did to make all of this possible. Lord, thank you for giving us this gift, and we pray this morning as we look into it that you would help us to understand it. As we look into our hearts, we pray that you would help us to be able to express our heart as well. And we just pray that you would draw us closer to yourself, even as we have prayed already this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. thought about the verse that Jesus gave us in John 16. It says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. This is uh, Jesus speaking after uh, he had supper with the disciples. And uh, between this and his actual time in Gethsemane, the verse just before that says, Behold, the hour cometh. Jesus is telling his disciples, Yea, is now come that ye shall be scattered, every man to his own, and ye shall leave me alone. And yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. There is an opposing force against us. The world is tribulation. The devil hates the peace that God gives, and he wants to stir it up. He wants to keep the pot stirred. He wants to keep everything floating and, and banging against each other. He doesn't like the, the peaceful meshing of uh, lives. He wants it to be everybody on edge and ac- accusing and challenging and uh, after each other. And uh, <clears throat> so we have a war. God loves peace. He loves what he has given us here this morning. And Satan wants to destroy it. This morning I've entitled the devotional Salvation. And uh, my thought was just to go back and to look at salvation. And uh, sometimes we look at the little ingredients of things and maybe we can find uh, something that will help us to uh, understand. And uh, in verse 9, it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, 
Thou shalt be saved. Now we're jumping in the end of a sentence here. There's more before this. But this morning I have decided to jump right in the middle. And we want to look at what this is talking about. And hopefully understand it just a little bit. And it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. So obviously there's words involved. There's some kind of feeling involved behind it. But uh, we have that God, that God says here in Romans, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, and uh, <clears throat> Jesus would have termed it born again in John 3 as he was talking to Nicodemus. There's different uh, terms that we have for this. Some people call accepting of the Lord Jesus. There's a lot of different terms that the world uses. But I have paraphrased it this way, that in our life sometime there was a time that we came to God and said, I'm done with myself, and I want you to take over. And I trust there's a phrase like that in your life, that you have committed your life to God. And the devil wants to destroy that. He wants to tell you it was done wrong, it was done under emotions, it was done under a forceful preacher, it was done here, it was done there, it was done wrong, it was done this, it was done that. And he wants to discourage you about that. But here it says that if we confess with our mouth our Lord Jesus, and if we skip a few words, it says, Thou shalt be saved. Thou shalt be saved. And so it is definitely a necessary ingredient. It is definitely a necessary ingredient. Now to me, um, sometimes my mind is slow to understand some things. And uh, over the years I have heard the teaching that You say the words, you're saved. And I agreed with that. But I don't know when it was in the the late past that I began to discover that there's people out there that believe that if they can get people to say those words, then they'll just meet in heaven. It didn't enter my mind that people actually think that um, you say those words and, and everything after that is, is just, you know, you're saved. The Lord accepted you. Just get him to do that little technicality and, and you're saved. I mean, sometimes I struggle with it. You know what I mean? There's actually people that believe that, that, you know, you could put, stop them on the street and, and say, you know, Lord, I'm sorry I'm a sitter. Would you live in my life? And, and then we'd meet him in heaven. You know, he could walk, keep, keep walking down the street, almost forget that he did that. And it finally hit me that there are people that, that in a sense would believe that. But I'm finding out that as, uh, apparently there are. Now, this, some of this goes back pretty far. Constantine was, uh, if I have my names right, I think it was Constantine, was, was a Christian, professing Christian. And he not only thought that they had to confess with their mouth, but he thought if they would be baptized, maybe not even just confess. 
And so he marched his army under some trees, and there was people in the trees pouring water. And so his soldiers were all Christians because they were baptized. The little technicality was taken care of. They had water sprinkled on their head, they got, and it was um, supposedly the right kind of water. They were all baptized. We're all going to see Constantine's army in glory. And you know, then I began to understand that there are some people that under that think that you know there's just a little process, and then it goes on. When actually, I believe that when we accept the Lord as our personal Savior, we are changed. We are changed. If this morning when we would have sung the last song and I would not have been sitting here, but just as we sang the last song, I would have come running up the, up the aisle and, and you would have been ready that, that I come and, and present the devotional. And I stand here and I say, well, sorry, I'm late. I've got an excuse. And I would say that our family this morning, as we were coming down State Road 19, that all of a sudden a semi swerves in front of our lane and it just, I mean, our van ended up under his front bumper. All 18 wheels come out, come go over the van, and, and, and we come out the back about this thick. And so that's why I'm late this morning. We had to clean up the mess. Your mind kicked into the law of non-contradiction, right? Your mind said it's not possible for, for our whole family to be driven over by 18 wheels under a loaded semi and come out in a van this thick and stand here and be ready to give a devotional. Right? The change that happened to you when you accepted the Lord Jesus should be more dramatic than getting driven over by a semi. And when somebody says that they accepted the Lord Jesus as their Savior, that clicks and says they're a different person. They want to do what God wants them to. There's a dramatic change in their lives. And they are not going to be the same as they were before they committed their life to Jesus Christ. We should see that confessing with our mouth the Lord Jesus is making a a drastic change in our life. It makes a drastic change in our life. I remember the peace that goes with, with accepting the Lord. I couldn't sit through an evangelistic meeting and, and peacefully, especially not that night in bed. But I remember accepting the Lord as my Savior. And after that, what stood out to me was being able to, after a message of salvation, to go home to bed and just peacefully go to sleep. Because I knew that the Lord was with me. To me, early in my Christian life, 1 John 1, 9 came into play. If, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I knew that if I am willing to confess them, that the Lord will, can, will forgive them. And there's a lot of other things. And you say, I'm not finished this morning. That's right. There's a lot of different branches that we could go into. 
But there's two points that we want to make. And the first one is this morning is that when you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, there's going to be a dramatic change in your life. The second one is where it goes on to say in that verse, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. So we see that there's these two ingredients, and thou shalt be saved. So the first one is fairly simple. It's talking, just speaking, Lord, I want to be yours. Accepting the Lord as your personal Savior, as some people would say it. And I read that story last Sunday night because it meant something to me that that individual that got saved and had joy in her heart and loved the Lord and was different, but she had forgotten the name. You know, sometimes we think that it's all the technicalities and it's all the different things that we do and it has to be this and it has to be that. When I think, really, what the Lord wants is what is the deepest desire of your heart. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And I believe that's what he's saying here, that if thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Now you remember when we studied this in the past, that the heart is the innermost part of our being. It's the depth of what we believe, where we at, what we believe. And if you remember, we looked at it back then that, you know, what God wants to know is what is the deepest, darkest desire of your heart. And as we sit here this morning anticipating council meeting and expressing ourselves as to as far as peace with God, I trust that there was every single one of you here that could say, but I just haven't been what I should be. The Lord did all this for me, and I'm just not everything I could be for Him. And I trust that that touches our heart. And I trust that that's our feeling. But I personally believe this morning that that's exactly where the Lord wants us. Lord, I need more. I want to walk closer with you. I want to be your child completely. And I believe that's where the Lord wants each of His children. Because if not, then we would be here and say, I know how to do it. I've I've accomplished it. I'm there. I, You know how it would go. But the Lord wants us where we depend on Him. And God does that in in our lives in different ways. And if we look at this and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, we think, well, that's fairly simple. We believe that Jesus was raised. But you know, if we stop and think about it just a little bit, what does it mean that God raised him from the dead? If he was raised, what did he have to be first? Tell me. Dead. Dead. 
And to really be dead, what did he have to be before that? Alive. And to really be raised here on the earth, he had to be alive where? Here, on the earth, amongst us. And for really that to have meaning, that means that he was a person here on the earth, doing his Father's will, having the possibility to sin, but not doing it. And that could go on and on. I mean, if we believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, those fingers go out into, I believe, all sorts of more things. The ordinances, which are outward evidence of, outward symbols of an inner experience. And so I began to see that this morning, as I mentioned in the beginning, as we come here, it's a lifelong prayer that we council meeting could be a time of peace. And as far as Paul and I as ministers can look at this congregation and say, you know, we see good relationships, we see a desire to support the church, we see a desire to want to serve God, we see a desire to walk close with God... And we look on what you have happened to everything that we can see. And it's like God has said, you know what? I would like for you, in 1 Corinthians 11, He said, I would like for you also to have each one express themselves and say that, you know, I have peace with God too. In here where you can't see, in here where it isn't apparent to my brethren, I have peace with God. I'm not what I want to be. I am not, and whatever may feeling go with you this be with you this morning, of unworthiness, of whatever it is, I believe that it is God given. If the deepest desire of your heart is to believe that Jesus Christ believe that God hath raised him from the dead, that that is what God is concerned about. And that is why the outside of the life needs to match what is in the first part of the verse, Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Because it then goes to the most deepest, it just quickly makes a quick switch to the deepest part of our innermost being. And he says, what is the desire of your heart? Is it to believe that God hath raised him from the dead? Our salvation what he did. And uh, I think he explains it just a little bit more in verse 10. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. He turns it around. It's the heart first. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. I believe that this is after the original confession of accepting the Lord Jesus. And your life is a life that wants to do what God wants you. It's a life of righteousness. It's a life that follows God, that does want, that does what He wants. And then in the words that flow out of our mouth, the words that flow out of our mouth make that plain. Now back, that, that way back, that message that we looked at the heart, if thou... Um, uh, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. 
When we looked at the definition of the heart, do you remember, do you happen to remember one of the definitions to discern what is the deepest desire of your heart? Does anyone remember? How do you determine in another person, without simply asking them, what is the deepest desire of their heart? Does anyone remember? what they like to talk about. What they like to talk about. And I believe that's closely connected with this verse. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I love the Lord Jesus. And our conversations often will express that often express that. That doesn't mean we're so heavenly, we're no earthly good, but I do definitely believe we could be more heavenly. I believe God knows and honors the deepest desire of our heart. Did I technically accept Christ Jesus right? Satan tempted me, maybe maybe um, I did, and maybe I didn't, and then I did it again, and I wrote down the date, and I take the devil there, and I show him this is when I did it right. But I believe that my life will also show. And our life was drastically changed after we turned our life over to God. There's another feeling that sometimes comes, and uh, there's a person that has expressed that to me lately. He said that I just don't feel that I was ready for baptism when I was baptized. I've learned so much since that time, and I just knew so little. Do you think I should be baptized again? What do you think? That's how it should be. We were baptized on what we knew at that time, and we grow from there on out. We love our babies here, they are so cute. But you know, we'd be concerned if for two years they would stay about this big. We want them to grow. We want them to mature. We want them to grow up. And a two-year-old isn't able to do math, but he can be perfect as a two-year-old. And a seven-year-old can't do calculus, but he can be perfect as a seven-year-old. And it goes on and on and on. And we keep going. We keep growing. We keep going closer to the Lord. Do we always feel we're right up to where the Lord wants us? I don't think so. Probably not. And I'd like to discuss that sometime with you. Maybe we can once in a while. We feel extra close to God. And we think that this is where God wants me. And this is where God wants me to be. And I believe at times God gives us confirmations like that. But I believe it's also perfectly right to know that God wants me here and I haven't quite attained to that. That's That's my vision. That's my goal. That's That's where I'm going. But where there is no vision, the people perish. We need to keep going. We need to keep moving. We need to keep... When I lay in bed with a broken leg, the doctor told me that for every day you lay there, it takes two days to rebuild your muscle. So let's keep going. Let's keep going unto perfection. There's a lot of scriptures that we could look at in those things. There's a lot of things that we could uh, to go into other.
But this morning, I want to emphasize in our minds that we have accepted the Lord Jesus as our Savior, and we believe in our heart that Christ hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. And it's going to be a dramatic difference. Having said that, I'd like to bow our heads and have a few minutes of quiet prayer before God that you address these with him. Close your eyes, bow your head. Lord, this morning we realize that the devil wants to tempt us, wants to discourage us because we haven't attained to what we could. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the security this morning that we are what you want us to be. And Lord, give us the security of open our lives to each other, that uh, they will also be honest with us and show us that if the fruit doesn't match the tree. Lord, we thank you that you've given your spirit And that you have promised that your spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And we pray that you would continue to do that this morning. Give us the security that comes from knowing that we are your children and that you're with us today. You've forgiven our past and you're going to help us in the future to keep growing, keep going, keep moving. We pray that you would give your seal of confirmation upon the hearts this morning that the devil may in no way discourage and tempt with the maybes and what if and how would it be or all of the other things. But may we find our confidence and salvation because of our hope in you. Through the power of your son Jesus and his precious blood, we rebuke the devil and his thoughts and intents from being here. We ask that you would totally renounce them and that only your peace would reign here and that we would be able to understand what you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes we ask the question, well, how is this possible? I'd like for you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, I trust that the Lord will tell us more about this later on in the message today. But uh, this morning, the singing was in harmony. The singing was good. The singing was a desire to draw nearer to God in harmony. And one of those reasons was is because we all had the same songbook, right? One of one of us would have had the hymns of life and praise and would have been singing another song. It would have kind of stuck out, wouldn't it? You know the peace, the coming together as a congregation is possible because God has given us one book to follow. And we all follow him. And he's all powerful. He's all knowing. He knows everything. He knows our hearts. And he can direct you in your private devotions. He can direct me in my private devotions. And you in your meditation. And you. And God brings us all together because it's one God that is leading us. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy 
of that salvation that you said with your mouth, or the vocation with which ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, we'll count these, one body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Seven, the number of perfection. One. And he brings us together in just such a wonderful way. And uh, it just never ceases to amaze me. And then it says in verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of God, gift of Christ. And uh, he gives us grace according as we need it in those days that we need it. And how is this possible? Does that mean that I always am the one that that has to have everything my way? Just turn the page to chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That's how God does it. He leads each one of us. He leads each one of us in our individual lives. And He draws us together. And He wants to help us to be together. And uh, just as we often marvel that a church service, uh, three, four different individuals, just say we need a devotional, we need a message, we need songs, and they just blend together. That's the Lord's doing. That's how He does the church. That's how He does our lives. Different things that completely work together. Uh, Brother Andrew, um, I've been uh, looking at his life. Brother Andrew... Anybody here doesn't know the name Brother Andrew? Raise your hand. Okay. Brother Andrew was a great preacher in, uh, to, the, to the communist world. He was a smuggler. His name was synonymous with uh, smuggling Bibles to Dave, you know, Dave Bontrager, Brother Andrew. Um, not sure who else I would, would put in there. But they... they uh, <clears throat> smuggled Bibles to uh, to uh, the communist church people that didn't have Bibles. And uh, the stories that he has, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And uh, <clears throat> God gave him a car, and, and God gave him literature, and God gave him money, and he would go through the border and close the... He would always pray before he got to the border, and he'd say, Lord, you can make seeing eyes, blind eyes see, but today I pray that... Seeing eyes would be blind. And time and again he did that. Time and again he did that. And he would go in with his little blue Volkswagen station wagon and he would distribute God's word. And this time was one of, was the first time he had his own car. And, uh, he was a Dutchman. And, uh, he was going into communist Yugoslavia. And, uh, he had a car full of literature. And this was the first time he was going with a car. He was somewhat apprehensive of what would happen. And, uh, after he got into, uh, well, before this all happened, he wondered, well, what do I do with after I get in? I mean, who do I know how to give this literature to? And uh, back in 1945, this was 1957, 12 years later, but not, back in 1945, he had some contacts with certain people and uh, that were Christians behind the Iron Curtain. And uh, he knew about them. And uh, he had a brother in this certain town that he knew was a faithful Christian brother named Tito. And uh, he wondered, well, how do I contact him? 
And uh, he said, well, I've got his address. I'll send him a letter. Not knowing that 12 years, a lot of things can change. So a couple weeks before he left for uh, uh, Yugoslavia, and even he, not knowing exactly the time he would leave uh, and could be there, he sent the letter to Brother Tito, said, I'm coming, I've got things for you, and uh, so and so on. And uh letter came to the place, the apartment where Brother Tito lived, and of course Tito had moved someplace else, and uh, the letter was there, and those people got it and said, this isn't for us, this is for the former person lived here. And uh, don't know how the story all, I mean, how their lives all went, but it was a week or two before they got to take it to the post office to have it forwarded. And so they forwarded it to Tito and to his new address. And uh, Tito gets the letter and he thinks, a Dutch brother bringing something for us? This must be a message from the Lord. What am I supposed to do? And he sees the address, his old address. He says, well, this is probably where he's coming to. And this is like three weeks after after uh, and Brother Andrew sent the letter. And uh, Brother Tito said, well, I guess I'll go back to my old apartment and see what he dropped off or where he's at. So he gets on the bus and he goes to his old apartment and he gets to his old apartment and he, he stands there and he thinks, what am I supposed to do? And a blue Volkswagen drives up. Brother Andrew said, Brother Tito, he said, Brother Andrew, he says. And they compare notes, and it's something that only God could plan. Two people, extreme different places, one God, one direction, just like he says here in Ephesians, this uh, one body and one Lord, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. And uh, it's just the Lord can do things like that. It's just amazing. And uh, sometimes I think it would be fun to be God to arrange things like that, wouldn't it? But I find it interesting on this end, also find things that God did arrange like that. And uh, so uh, I believe that our life with God should be so close, should be so desire to be walk with Him. We should be serious about it. We should be serious about it. In fact, I believe that we should be so serious about it that occasionally we just say that we open our lives to the brethren. What do you see in my life? What do you see in my life? Is there something that doesn't quite rhyme with the words I say? Don't the words express what I should be? And that's exactly what he's talking in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. That verse, uh, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. You know, I've said it here before, and I'm going to say it again, that if 
if I do something, if I would build this, this pulpit, and while I was building it, this thing in the shop would fall over and there's a nick on this corner, and I would have to totally remake these two pieces to do it, and I say, well, I'll just put some stain on that, and I'm going to put some putty on that, and I'm just going to make that so nobody sees that. And it does turn out pretty good, but you come up here and you look at it and you say, that's a pretty sloppy job. It's got a ding here on the corner. It's supposed to be brand new. I can I forgive myself because I know that it fell over and I tried to think it I tried to fix it and it looks pretty good. And I think I it's alright. But you know when if I look at it when somebody else did I say that's pretty sloppy. I mean he didn't even we forgive ourselves when something happens. We make excuses for ourselves, but when it's somebody else, what is our attitude? And Jesus said, If ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. And we need to express the forgiveness to others that we have for ourselves. We need to extend to others the forgiveness that we extend to ourselves. I judge myself often on my intentions. I wasn't, my intention was to make a nice pulpit without any dings, but it just, you know, it just, just, just happened. But that'll be okay. But if I see somebody else made the pulpit and there's a ding on it, I said, that's going to be in front of the church. People are going to see that. I mean, we can't have that. I mean, can we get it made? Can we? Are we willing to extend the forgiveness to ourselves, to others that we have for ourselves? I challenge you with that thought. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. I think that's what he's referring to there. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. We should not be condemned with the world. <clears throat> 